You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Handmaiden. Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Handmaiden, and the story is as follows. With help from an orphan pickpocket, a Korean con man devises an elaborate plot to seduce and bilk a Japanese woman out of her inheritance. The film is starring Kim Min-hee, Ha Jung-woo, Cho Jin-woo, and Kim Tae-ri. It is written and directed by Park Chan-wook and co-written by Chung se Kwang. Joining me for this Patreon 2016 retrospective podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everybody. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Dan Bear. I'm so excited, you guys. <laughs> and also joining us as a guest here from In Session Film, ladies and gentlemen, Jay Ledbetter, everyone. Hello, everyone. W- wonderful to be here. Very excited. Very, very excited to have you as well. I've been trying to get you on this show forever. And finally, the stars aligned. We are here today to talk about what is not only, in my opinion, the best foreign language film of 2016. Not just one of the best films of 2016, but one of the best films of the decade, in my opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are talking about The Handmaiden's Tale. I'm sorry, The Handmaiden here on the (laughs) Next Best Picture podcast. And I know that a lot of people have been looking forward to this review here. So when we had a chance to go back and review some movies from 2016 that we did not do podcasts for for this mini retrospective, uh, you know, trying to fill in the blanks a little bit here. This is one of the films that was immediately at the top of my list, despite the fact that it did not receive any Oscar nominations that year. It is a movie that has already, I think, become a modern masterpiece, and it's only been around for four years. So let's talk about it. Here we go. I actually would like to start off first and foremost with Nicole Ackman. Nicole, what did you think of The Handmaiden? So I watched The Handmaiden for the first time ever. Uh, on Friday night, I actually watched it over Skype with Dan, so he can probably speak to my reactions about as well as I can. Um, it was amazing. Needless- <laughs> it was almost as good as watching the film itself. <laughs> <laughs> um, this film basically invented the plot twist. It <laughs> is a wild ride of a film, and it is so absolutely gorgeous. I'm so excited to you know discuss all of its really brilliant, beautiful elements. But I also have to say, I think my favorite cinematic universe is a period drama with a forbidden love story with a brilliant emerald green dress. Like, that is what I look for in a movie, and this film does deliver. So I'm so excited to be talking about it. All right. Checked off a lot of boxes for Nicole Ackman. Let's hear now from... Dan Bayer, who is very, very excited to talk about this movie. He cannot stop messaging us about how excited he is to talk about this movie. <laughs> I, you guys have no idea. So this is, I I first saw this movie in 2016 at the Walter Reed Theater at Lincoln Center with me and a whole bunch of old people. And <laughs> I... I st- that's the ideal way to watch the movie i truly i still can't get over like i was on there were parts of this movie where i was uncomfortable for the other people around me (laughs) who clearly did not know what they were getting themselves into any more than i did um and but i fell so hard in love with this movie uh, on that first viewing i 
it took me about halfway through um, until we were maybe like, actually, I think until I can pinpoint the exact moment, it was the first reading scene that I was really like all in on this movie. But when, by the time it got to the end, I was just completely obsessed with it. It was one of my favorite films of 2016. One of my favorite films of the decade. I think it is one of the best all around crafted films I've seen in a long, long, long time. And I was so happy that it held up uh, so well, that it has held up so well over the years. Uh, I am so excited to talk about this more with you. I have one, I have one problem with this movie. One, just one, just one. And we'll get to it later, but yeah. All right, Josh Parham. So I also uh, remember seeing this movie back in 2016. I remember actually seeing it at the Chicago International Film Festival, uh, which at that time I was just going as like a regular person, wasn't covering it at all. And I remember really loving it back then. But also my kind of love for it was shaded just a little bit by that festival overall that year being a bit underwhelming. So it was a it was the best thing I saw, but it was sort of like, clearing a high bar at the time, even though I did love it. I I think my love for it was maybe tainted a bit because of that. So I haven't seen it probably since 2016. And I am so glad to have returned to it because I, I, I still think that love is warranted. It's such a masterfully crafted movie, as you said, Dan, and just the story, the, even the minute you think it might be losing you just a bit, it finds a way to reinvent itself and pull you back in. And it's so engaging. It's so fun. And I just top to bottom. I am also just in love with every inch of this movie. I think it's an incredible film and definitely one of the best films of 2016. And our guest, Jay. Yeah. So what, what an honor it is to be here making my debut on next best picture for possibly the most explicit film y'all have ever covered on the podcast. Maybe that's a good point. (laughs) It it is certainly a very, I think it was released unrated in the U S but that might have been only because it would have gotten an NC 17. Uh, but this, this was my second viewing of this movie, and I'm honestly surprised that I'd only seen it one time before because I did love it. When we were putting together our best of the decade with In Session Film earlier in the year, this came in for me at number 23. So needless to say, I, I absolutely loved this movie. And I, I got to say, after a second watch, I think it would stay right there. It's really one of the best movies of the 2010s, in my opinion. And it's it's also one of those classic, like, I love this movie, but would not recommend it to anyone just because of the nature of the content. But, but I mean, it's, it's just, it's such a great movie for cinephiles and presumably people who would be listening to this podcast. And you know, the, the, the main thing I thought about while watching it this time is because on our podcast, we had just done a full watch through of David Fincher. And I know y'all just reviewed Gone Girl, uh, on your Patreon recently as well. I could not stop thinking about Gone Girl while watching this movie because that film got a lot of the same praise that this movie got and a lot of the same criticism. Uh, although I would say this movie is, you know, it takes it to a, even more of an extreme. The The male gaze of this movie is very, very real. And, and I think we'll talk about that. But I kind of chalk that up, I think, to Park Chan-wook's pension for provocation. Yeah. And, and boy, oh boy, is this movie provocative. Um, I, I think you can definitely make 
an argument one way or another for the film's methods, but I also think its intentions are incredibly clear. I mean, the 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 final scene of this film, and the, the film ends with women repurposing tools used against them at the hands of men to create pain for intense, loving, passionate pleasure. And and that pleasure is displayed very, very explicitly. And and I certainly think through a, a male heterosexual lens. And it's it's titillating in ways that you very rarely see. But I think the the themes are um, progressive and and I, I am far from the person to be making this designation one way or another, but I, I believe it's fairly pro-woman, fairly feminist. Um, and while two sad dying men are stuck in a basement at the film's end, the two main women are in this romantic voyage to, to a new life. So there's so much to break down with this film. And, uh, there's certainly, you know, you could go one way or another with so many elements of this film, but the the technical achievement of this film is undeniable. It's um, it, it's a remarkable film, in my opinion. Absolutely. For myself, 2016, I, uh, man, I remember this very vividly. I remember it was the end of the year, and I checked my log for The Handmaiden in terms of when I uh, watched it and reviewed it, and it was on December 30th of 2016, and it was... Uh, one of the first screeners I was ever given to watch a movie uh, back at home. I completely oh, missed wow. this in theaters. I completely missed it during its festival run. Next Best Picture had just started in September of mm. that year. So we were only a few months in at this time. And I got a, I got my hands on The Handmaiden. And I was able to watch this movie in the comfort of my home. And I was trying to cram in before uh, January 1st of uh, 2017, a ton of movies. I, I remember watching this, Hunt for the Wilder People, Cresha, Tony Erdman. I, I watched so many. and That's a lot of good movies, too. Oh, oh yeah, no. I was I was definitely playing like some really really excellent catch up. The Handmaiden was a movie that for me at the time I knew it was brilliant and I knew that I loved it. But I found it to be very overwhelming. And there were times where I found the plot a little hard to maybe follow, especially in part 1, the movie's broken into three parts. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't rate it as highly as I probably have should have when I first watched it. And even with that, even not having, I, I feel like that full experience that I could have gotten had I seen this in a movie theater and I could have concentrated a little bit better and really gotten more of the intricate details of what was happening a bit more. This was still one of my favorite movies of the year and it resonated with me so much that it ended up uh, on my best of the decade list uh, later on when I was counting down my top 50 films of uh, the past 10 years. I believe this one came in at number 39. And I can tell you this, after this most recent rewatch, I would rate this even higher than that now. Mm. This is a impeccably crafted story, an impeccably crafted movie on a technical level and just in regards to everything, like every single element of this movie is when, you know, like think about like how, when you watch something and you just have that fulfilling 
love for cinema just coursing through your body. Yep. And you just like walk away from something when it's over and you're just like, God damn, I love cinema. This is the movie that does that to you. <laughs> Movies, man. <laughs> it seriously is. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. So I am just head over heels in love with this movie in more, va- more ways than one. And I think that a lot of the opening thoughts here are a reflection as to why. I'm very, very excited to get into the detail about it. But I actually kind of want to ask for those here that are familiar with Park Chain Wook's uh, previous films, you know, he's very well known for the Vengeance trilogy um, and also for doing Stoker. I'm just curious to know, like, where does this rank for you all with his other works? Ooh, uh, well. I have not seen all of his movies. I've seen like the highlights, you know, the, the vengeance trilogy stuff, obviously old boy is in there. That's probably his most famous movie. Um, to be honest with you of the bits that I have seen, I would probably rank this as my favorite, to be honest, even over old boy. At the point when I had seen this in 2016, I had only seen this and Stoker. Um, and since then I have seen, thirst and old boy but not the other um films of the vengeance trilogy yet and i think this is very easily his best movie yeah i i I would argue that as well what about you jay i i confess to only having seen old boy uh of his films haven't even seen stoker but uh, i think this is superior to old boy although i think old boy is is very good as well but this is this is a superior film in my opinion and I don't want to presume, but I, I will in this case, Nicole. I'm, I'm assuming this was your first Park Chain Wook. It, it was. I don't think that's a presumption. I think that's just you knowing me well enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. But hell, what a way to start. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I started at the top, honestly. Yeah, since everybody has it as number one, you might as well just quit yeah. at this point. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the movie, I think that when you look at his career – 
I think that it is in a lot of ways a culmination of a lot of things that I was mentioning before, not just in terms of storytelling, but also in how he uses the camera to tell the story and how editing is used to, to unfold with the many plot twists that this movie has going on. You know, one thing I was really struck by, and, you know, this is a good talking point, I think, for just starting off here, was how dynamic the fluidity of the camera movements Mm -hmm. were and how that camera just was constantly moving, constantly surprising us at every turn with either a punch in zoom or some intricate dolly shot where you're like, how? What is he doing right now? You know, and the crane work. Love the crane work. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. the I kept. Um, it was it was shocking to me how many shots of this movie were like seared into my brain <laughs> after you know having not having really. I I have seen I've seen it like once or twice after I saw it in theaters, but not within like the past year, and. Whole scenes of this, just the shots are like burned into my memory so much that like when I was on the where I was watching with Nicole, I'd be like, "Get ready for it! Get ready for it! Here it comes!" Well, you know what? You know what I noticed this this viewing was the they they, he practices a lot of subjective camera, whereas most of the movie is shot with Steadicam. When he goes to the whoever's perspective we are viewing each section from, he goes to handheld when we see it from their perspective. So in the first part, whenever we go from Seiko's perspective, it becomes this handheld, just very disorienting compared to the rest of the movie. Um, And so that was just like a really interesting choice for him to make as well. It's just a, I mean, there is nothing that was not a decision in this movie. You know, you go to the composition of the shots, you go to the production design, um, the movement of the camera, the difference between steady cam and, and handheld. It's, it's just like such a under control movie. And I got to say, I'll tell you the thing that I really, I kept thinking about freaking parasite in this movie, the parallels between this movie and parasite are like, so crazy with, I mean, you got the basement, you've got obviously the, the class narratives going on, the themes of class and, and all sorts of other imagery themes, ideas. It's, it's, there's so many similarities to draw there. South Korea, man, they just know how to make good movies. They do. (laughs) I think for anyone who like last year loved Parasite and Portrait of Lady on Fire, if you've not seen this film, like you should probably see it immediately. That is kind of it. It's like those two plus like Rashomon. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. It had a baby and it was the handbin. (laughs) You know, one of the other things, too, about this, you know, just kind of moving away now from the cinematography a little bit there is also, um, you know, uh, Jay, your your boss, J.D. over at Incession Film. I know that he's got great taste in music and I know that he absolutely loves the score for this movie. And I can tell you all on this most recent rewatch, that was probably the element that stood out to me the most was how much I absolutely adored this score. And there were times where it sounded like Alexandra Desplat. There were times where it was delicate and very um, expressive emotionally. And it it just really, really worked so well um, in highlighting uh, the passion of the romance between the two lead characters and really just bringing those emotions out of the movie. 
I it's interesting that you single out the score because it, of all the technical elements of the film, that is the one that I respond the least to. Wow. And I'm not, the same with you, Dan. Not that I don't like it. It's it's well done, but I it I guess if I had to like go for like why I think it's a little generic. Yeah. To me, it it does feel like it's serving a purpose to put you in the mind frame and the setting that we're in with this movie. But to be honest, like there are so many other elements that get me drawn in that the music, like, like you said, Dan, it's good. I respect the score. It's fine work, but that's not really doing the heavy lifting of me, like really, of really enveloping me within this story. To me, it is the performances. It's the writing. It's the editing, the cinematography, the directing. It's all of these other elements. And then the score kind of comes in. And to be honest, there's parts of the score that sounded like Downton Abbey to me. And that yes. kind of a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But is that a bad thing for this kind of a story? No, but it's just one of those things where it's like, is it a good score? Yes. Do, is it something that I think is like a miraculous element to the movie? I don't necessarily, I don't think that. Like the score would not be one of the like top five things that I would mention about what I love about this film. No, and it wasn't the first time I saw it, but on this most recent rewatch, for some reason it stood out to me just so much more. And I, and I, I you know, maybe I can't really pinpoint exactly why that is, but there were just times when I was watching it and the score was just kind of sweeping me away, especially, you know, at the end when they're sailing off on the ship, uh, you know, on the water. And, you know, we get to the end credits then and then there's that song at the end. I I, I don't know. It, it really, really worked for me. No, I, I love the score. I got some the, the vibes that I got was like the Terrence Malick way that he like repurposes the same themes over and over again for different reasons like there there's definitely some repetition going on but the he he uses it for like completely juxtaposing scenes and and different tones and that's what i love so much about it and then the he goes from you know he'll utilize the cello in one scene and then some very melodic piano in the next scene i mean i i love there's not a technical element of this movie that i don't love and then the score is is definitely one of those hey everyone sorry to interrupt but this is a preview of our full review of the 2016 film the handmaiden here on the next best picture podcast in order to get the full length review you will have to head on over to our patreon where for $1 minimum a month, you will get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.